Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Vojdani University. This is episode three. Uh, once again, I'm Elroy Vojdani, MD. I am the physician founder of Regeneral Wellness, uh, which is my clinic dedicated to treating patients with autoimmune disease. And uh, I'm pleased to have my guest, my dad, Aristo Vojdani, PhD. Um, the chief scientific advisor for Cyrex Laboratories, and uh, you know, really a uh, encyclopedia when it comes to knowledge about autoimmune and disease. Director of Immunosciences and director of Immunosciences Laboratory. Um, let's recap really what we've covered so far. In episode one, we really went through uh, the background, the history of our understanding of autoimmune disease, how we've kind of come to this point. And in episode two, we started talking about. Um, really specific ways in which the environment can affect your overall health and, and in, in some ways affect, um, you know, the mechanisms of autoimmune disease. And, and we went all the way back to, you know, the prenatal period to, um, you know, the pregnancy period and uh, onward throughout life. And uh, in today's episode, episode three, we're going to start um, really talking about um, autoimmune disease in general and, and the way we understand it now. Um, and um, start talking about specific differences between male and females and start digging into how um, different portions of the environment may contribute to autoimmune disease. Yes. So why don't we start with um, really an overall concept of autoimmune disease and the so-called three stages of autoimmune disease. Okay. Um, it should be clear that autoimmune disease, like any other disease, it's not like we go to bed, we wake up in the morning, we develop an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. Cardiovascular disease, the same thing. Sure. I think almost every single disease. But in particular, autoimmune disease takes many years. Mm -hmm. And the classical example that we read many years ago about in literature is type 1 diabetes. Okay. Maybe a child is born with some kind of genetic predisposition for type 1 diabetes. Uh, drink milk. The milk is not compatible with he or she or get some kind of viral infection. Mm -hmm. The virus cross-react with the islet cells and then this whole um, process of autoimmunity initiates. Okay. So then that patient will make antibodies. The antibodies appear in the blood for five to 10 years until, until the patient is not going to feel good and they go to see yeah. uh, or uh, seek medical help. Yeah, I think that's a very important point because- That's autoimmune disease. Yeah. When the patient is not feeling good, going to the doctor, that's an autoimmune disease. When symptoms appear. When symptoms appear. But the, the right. mechanism of the disease is present for several years, sometimes five or ten years. Five before. to ten years. Yeah. And in fact, I learned that we can detect anti-islet cell antibodies in the blood of these individuals five to ten years before the full-blown onset of type 1 diabetes. And that can, could be applied to any autoimmune disease. I mean, that's... Tremendous. Okay. And so therefore, there is a window of opportunity. This is really the heart of the matter. A window of opportunity for intervention. 
you're talking about identifying those circulating antibodies before symptoms appear? Is yes, that what you're referring that's, to? That's right. That's okay. why, uh, um, in general, we can classify the autoimmune disease to three stages. Okay. Stage number one, the triggers are in the body. The patient makes antibodies, mm -hmm. but the antibodies are circulating in the blood. Okay. Do not damage any tissue. Okay. Stage two may take two, three, or five years after that, there are more antibodies. Okay. In addition to antibodies, there is cellular attack. You mm -hmm. know, as you know, that our immunity is not just antibody. Yeah. It's cell-mediated immunity or autoimmunity and antibody-mediated autoimmunity. Right. So combination of antibodies and cellular attack can damage some of the tissues. Okay. At that level, the patient may feel a little bit sluggish, symptoms, no symptoms, still they're not aware that really they have an autoimmune disease because the symptoms are not that strong. They think this is chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, right. and I'm stressed, things like that. But another three to five years will take until those lymphocytes and antibodies attacking the tissue to such a level cause serious damage. And now the symptoms appear and they go to a doctor, they come to Dr. Elroy Bojdani. Yeah. He does anti-nuclear antibodies, which is a general biomarker of right. autoimmunity, anti-DNA antibodies, uh, rheumatoid factor, immune complexes. And then yes, you diagnose, yes, you may have lupus, you may have rheumatoid arthritis, and you may have type one diabetes. This is too late. That's why we have to pay attention to all three stages of yeah. autoimmune disease. Yeah. Stage one, stage two, and stage three. Absolutely. And uh, and you're saying the goal, and, and you know this is the way I practice as well, really the goal here is to catch people in stage one of autoimmune disease. And um, I can't tell you how often, you know, uh, for example, patients will come in with, let's say, type one diabetes, and they're in stage three of type one diabetes. And in the process of working them up, um, screening, doing a physical examination, um, I'll find that they also have um, anti-TPO antibodies. That's right. And, uh, you know, they're at the point where um, their thyroid function is still preserved, okay, but the antibodies are present. So in that case, I'm finding those patients in stage one of that disease. That, that's right. But one issue which is very important that we always believe that there is one autoimmune disease, a single disease. Yes. And what you just touched in here is that an individual with type 1 diabetes, a few years later, could develop also thyroid autoimmunity. So one yeah. autoimmune disease always is accompanied by other autoimmune diseases if we don't do, if we don't pay attention to the triggers. Right. So if you don't remove what the setup was for the initial autoimmune disease in the first place. So in this example, we're talking about type 1 diabetes. If those initial triggers aren't removed, then the body continues to progress along the autoimmune cascade and several other organs can be affected. The, the main reason I interjected earlier the issue of uh, milk, for example. Yeah. It has been established in the literature, mm -hmm. including journals such as um, New England Journal of Medicine. Yeah that some children mm -hmm. on uh, 
formula. Yeah. Uh, if they make antibodies against the casein, beta casein has antigenic similarity or identity similarity with islet cell antigens. Okay. So if they react against, they cannot digest properly the casein or mm -hmm. other milk proteins and they make antibody against that. Now that becomes a friendly fire and the antibodies plus lymphocytes right. attacking the milk now going to attack their own islet cells. Sure. And therefore, if we will identify the triggers in this case, which is easy, and we find that indeed it is milk, it's very easy. Just remove that milk from right. the diet of that individual and hopefully we'll be able to reverse the course of autoimmune disease. And, and when we talk about it being relatively easy, it is relatively easy. We uh, draw a sample of blood here in the office and uh, send it off um, to Cyrex Laboratories and, and run a test that um, you developed. Yes. And, um, you know, uh, there are several different arrays, you know, one for gluten, one for foods that are commonly cross-reactive with gluten, one that includes 180 foods uh, in both their raw and cooked forms. You know, there really is a plethora of very easy to perform, very rapidly accessible um, testing that can identify um, these triggers for autoimmune disease. And in this case, let's say the array patient, four. Array 4, which has, uh, you know, dairy products, uh, it has many uh, non-gluten grains on there. Um, so let's say casein comes back positive. You know, we see that the immune system in that case is forming a reaction to a dietary protein that it has deemed dangerous to the body for whatever reason. Um, and the unintended consequence of that is that because the antibodies are so similar to islet cells, that the antibodies that it's forming to the casein are cross-reacting and progression of type 1 diabetes or even type 1 diabetes in the first place That's right. is happening. So in many cases, these are the unintended consequences of the body forming a reaction to something in our environment. In the army, they call it friendly fire. It's like, you know, uh, your own gun attacking your own body yeah that's sure. that's really simple uh, explanation of molecular mimicry or antigenic similarity between milk and human tissue in this case islet cells can we talk a little bit about why that happens it seems like it happens often because we deal with patients with autoimmune disease so much but you know let's talk about the intricacy of the immune system and, and how something like forming antibodies to casein can cross-react with islet cells, for example. Let's talk about that mechanism of molecular mimicry. Yeah. Um, first of all, there is no doubt that autoimmune diseases are under ice. Sure. Okay. Um, in fact, yesterday I was reading this article about the issue of glyphosate. Yes. And as you know, there is a lot of controversies. Yeah. But for those who don't know, glyphosate is a very commonly used pesticide in the United States. It has the brand name Roundup. Roundup. And so when I read several articles published by MIT scientists, mm -hmm. biochemists, biophysicists, mm -hmm. and it looks like to me, to me that they blame everything on glyphosate. Yeah. So what they what they show actually in 19, for example, 75 all the way to 1990, 
we didn't have that many disorders, including autism, ADD, ADHD, allergy, Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. and name it, and autoimmunities. And then suddenly, they, when the curve goes like this, and in 2015, 2016, 2017, it's going up and up and up. Mm -hmm. So although that article is written only about glyphosate, I can put that together, change the name glyphosate to toxic environmental chemicals. Sure. Yeah, Roundup's not the only one. Round, Roundup is not the only one. No. There are many others. You Definitely. know, let's be honest about that. Of course. And, and so therefore, yes, in my opinion, chemicals playing a significant role mm -hmm. in our immune system to make a mistake. So let's take example of again milk. Okay. Why our body should react against milk? Uh, in the first place, if we consume any milk products, we should have an excellent digestive enzymes, which they will take the proteins of milk, digest them to peptides, and then enzymes called peptidases, like scissors, will cut down the peptides to amino acids. Mm -hmm. The amino acids get absorbed, and that's energy for our cells and our body. Right. I mean, that's a normal condition. So casein is this big complex protein and we have enzymes in our system that break it down into smaller uh, into the bare essentials which allows our gi system to absorb it and use the energy in that big protein exactly so this is normal that that's why by the way when as we get older yeah uh, our digestive enzymes like any other part of the body may not work properly sure we need to take some digestive enzymes sure if, so if your doctor will give you digestive enzymes it's going to help you to digest these proteins to amino acids to get absorbed and you get your energy. Yes. But unfortunately, just think about it. If that casein molecule forms some kind of alliance with toxic chemicals, and glyphosate is one example, okay. right? So the scissors, which is supposed to cut, the enzyme, which is supposed to cut that protein to uh, to peptides, and then to amino acid is not going to work. So it blocks the body's natural ability to break down this protein. And so what will happen? Lots of undigested proteins yes. or peptides in the GI tract, which causing inflammation and bloating in the gut. Okay. Release of all kinds of mediators mm -hmm. from our microbiomes, cytokines, will open the blood, the gut barriers. Okay. Undigested peptides from food. Now, you know, we are extending that to any food. Right. Can get to the submucosa, regional lymph nodes, and in circulation. And obviously, if, if a foreign material from uh, food plus toxic chemicals yes. is in the blood, you mm -hmm. think what, what our immune system is going to do? Sure, sees it as an it's enemy. the job, sees that, uh, sees that right. as an enemy, goes after it, react to it, and will make antibody against that. And now, unfortunately, due to sim similarity between that protein, whether it's from gluten or casein or other proteins of uh, um, lectins or glutenins, uh, those antibodies react with, with, with 
any component of our body which from molecular structure mm -hmm. similar to our tissue. Yeah. So which, they are going to attack self tissue. Think, think that is, for example, casein or gluten or lectins or agglutinins. Right. And and the reason that happens is you kind of have to take a step back and understand the way antibodies work. So you have this complex folded protein structure and the antibodies are really recognizing uh, one portion of it, right? Uh, one amino acid sequence of it or one portion of this folded protein. And because of um, the way antibodies work in, in really recognizing small portions of these proteins and because of how complex proteins are when they're folded, it is not uncommon for different protein structures, in this case we're talking about islet cells and casein, to have portions of that folded protein that are similar to each other. Yeah. So it's not that islet cell pro the entire islet cell is exactly like casein. All it takes is a small portion of that folded complete protein. If you form antibodies to that portion, they will cross-react and the body can't won't tell the difference between casein and islet cells. That's right. The second way or second mechanisms chemicals get separated from the food okay okay and get into our blood okay and so chemicals toxic chemicals or their metabolites after going into the liver get metabolized sure changed to some degree can form a new alliance with our tissue. Okay. Directly can bind to the tissue. Okay. Before that was the antibodies attacking the casein plus the chemicals because of the similarity with our tissue. Right. Attacking the tissue. In this case, chemicals directly go to the thyroid. Okay. Bind directly to thyroid tissue. Thyroid tissue. Okay. So what will happen? The, our immune system is going to attack the chemicals to get rid of the chemicals in the process, also is attacking TPO, right. or thyroglobulin, or thyroid peroxidase, uh, the joints, if in case of arthritis, right. uh, kidney, or any other part of the body. And, and there's a term for this new attack. Neoantigen formation. Neoantigen formation. Neoantigen formation. In both cases, is neoantigen formation. Right. One with food. Right. This one is directly with our tissue. Mm-hmm neo-antigen formation with our tissue and so this actually these two are explaining why autoimmune diseases are on the rise because of extensive and overuse of toxic chemicals and our daily exposure to thousands and thousands of chemicals through our food air um, and other uh, lifestyles. Well, and, and uh, to go back to our previous point about the stages, we're really talking about how stage one of autoimmune disease develops, right? This is really the part of autoimmune disease that we're discussing right now. Exactly. And we're giving a few specific examples, but let's talk about, you know, there are really three broad categories of different things in our environment that can be the setups for initiation of autoimmune disease, the development of these antibodies, neoantigen formation. So we, we talked about, right now we talked about glyphosate, so 
um, that's kind of in the broad category of environmental chemicals. That's right. Right? That's right. What are some other examples of those? But, but, but let's go back to a general scheme. Sure. That gene okay. plus three environmental triggers right. together playing a role in induction of autoimmunity. Okay. So, toxic chemicals, okay. you name it, food. Okay, two. And the third is infectious agents or pathogens. Infectious agents. So these agents. are three. The three. We'll talk about these, each one of them separately. Okay. Uh, and so each one of these, through different mechanisms or even through similar mechanisms, can induce autoimmunity. Okay. Uh, and so we talked about toxic chemicals. We gave glyphosate as an example. Uh, my favorite one, and I'm <laughs> glad you are giving me water with in a in a glass bottle, right? My favorite one is bisphenol A or plastic. Sure. Okay. So why I'm bringing that as an example? Because the extensive use of plastic in the world is unbelievable. It's everywhere. The these chemicals also are endocrine disruptors. Yes. Later on, we'll talk about male and female differences in autoimmune diseases. Endocrine uh, disruptors, what does that mean? Meaning the chemicals structure is almost similar or identical to male or female hormones. Absolutely. So we know there is also a significant connection between endocrine and the immune system. Yes. So if on daily basis, so many endocrine disruptors such as bisphenol A and many others, phthalates and many, many more. Parabens. Uh, uh, parabens and others from cosmetics and so forth yeah. get into our body and our lymphocytes have receptors. Yeah. Okay. For some of these, instead of the hormones will bind to those receptors, now plastic hormones, let's call them plastic hormones, yes. binds to the receptors and now lymphocytes, which are uh, the main cells producing antibodies. Yep. So in this case, what will happen to those lymphocytes? They are going to act, to act to make either more antibodies or less antibodies, or, or we call that immune dysregulation. Right. The immune system loses its regulatory mechanisms and do all kinds of mistakes with, that can then result in autoimmunity. Absolutely. So to take a step back, we're saying that your hormone system and your immune system talk with each other, okay? They have a loop of discussion, basically. And hormones can influence the immune system to act one way or the other. And these chemicals that we're talking about, then the chemical we brought up was bisphenol A, which was ubiquitously, ubiquitously present in plastic. Um, for decades uh, is a very, very strong, um, it has very strong similar properties to estrogen. And exactly. in fact, it was developed as um, an alternative to estradiol therapy in the early 1900s. It was developed okay. as a hormone um, and it was then put into plastic. So there are these immune cells that have these receptors waiting for estrogen to come around and instead, this massive amount of bisphenol A comes around and the immune system is getting the signal that it would think that it needs to either ramp up production 
of its inflammatory response or turn it down because it's getting all these hormone signals, but the body never intended for that signal to happen. That's what we're talking about. Yes, absolutely. This second issue is that if you look at chemical structure of bisphenol A, yes. and thyroid stimulating hormone receptors, and do me a favor, those who are listening, please go online and ask for chemical structure of bisphenol A, and then ask for also chemical structure of thyroid stimulating hormone. And put these side by side. Okay. Almost looks identical. Okay. And so what will happen, you know, now you have a component of plastic, bisphenol A, competing with your thyroid hormone. Right. Isn't that one, one of the reasons we have so many thyroid disorders? It really is unbelievable the, the number of people out there. The prevalence of thyroid, autoimmune thyroid disease is really very alarming. Um, and this is one of the reasons for it. And so these are just a couple examples. Heavy metals. Yes. Uh, pesticides, herbicides. There are many, 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 many. Formaldehydes, uh, isocyanate, paint material, mm -hmm. you know, benzene uh, com uh, compounds, benzene-containing compounds. And so there are... There are Close to 100,000 chemicals yeah. and, and for, in our society. They, for those of us that live in these in big urban environments, which is the majority of people, unless you're lucky enough to live in, uh, you know, rural Washington, and, and if you do, I commend you, but those of us who live in urban environments are exposed to thousands of these on a daily basis, and it's almost unavoidable. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there is one more I issue that uh, sometimes manufacturers are using, saying that these chemicals are safer than aspirin for human beings. Okay. And the argument they make, they say, human beings do not have that cycle, that enzyme, to metabolize these chemicals. Mm -hmm. And therefore, chemicals will be in, and within hours will be out. Right. Like their okay. urinary excretion is immediate. Yeah. And so, for example, glyphosate... Uh, as you know, 97% of the population, if you take their urine right now, they have glyphosate in right. it. And the same thing with bisphenol A and name it. But they forget that we have the second brain. Right. 100 trillion, right, bacteria living within. Yeah. We're referring times. to the nervous system in the gut, the enteric nervous system. And the, our microbiome. Right. Okay. So the microbiome, the 100 trillion bacteria, they are very sensitive to these toxic chemicals. Sure. So what will happen that they will destroy the good bacteria mm -hmm. and make the bad bacteria to overgrow. The bad bacteria are now releasing all kinds of toxins, opening the gut barriers, which is, uh, I call that immune gate, the gate gateway to autoimmunity, okay. opening the gate. Right. And now all, all the toxins of bacteria are inside. So in this case, chemicals, the only thing did change the microbiome. Right. Didn't cause autoimmunity. Right. But now the bacterial toxins are going to damage our tissue and causing autoimmunity. Right. And they... that's why as a physician, you pay so much attention to the gut of your patients with yes. autoimmunities. Yeah. 
on, on almost everybody, you know, who has, uh, you know, unfortunately, catching patients in stage one autoimmune disease is continuing to be a challenge, right? Um, you know, as we continue to educate, hopefully more people will come in for screening and we'll detect people in those stages, you know, those people who have the uh, genetic predisposition or the environmental setup for it. But, you know, more, more often we're seeing patients in stage two or stage three of autoimmune disease, right? Yes, yes. Almost everybody will get um, a Cyrex array two, which is the array you develop to look at intestinal permeability to see if we have antibodies to the tight junctions uh, and also to see if we have antibodies to the bacterial endotoxin you talked about. Lipophilocytic variety, LPS. That's a, that's a God dysbiosis. Right. So this is a marker of how, where are we? Where are we in, in the state of that barrier, which is the most important barrier to autoimmune disease? Like you said, it's the door. Yes. How open is that door open, number one? And how open is that door? Exactly. And, and oftentimes from colleagues, I'll hear the argument that they don't do this testing because they assume that everyone has an open door. Everyone has leaky gut. And um, I think that, you know, in all due fairness, that uh, there is really something to be said for having knowledge about one, you know, whether antibodies are present, because it really tells you something significant is going on with the intestinal barrier. And number two, which I think is a very important point is, okay, let's say, the door is open, leaky gut is present, you have antibodies to, uh, to tight junction proteins. Are there antibodies to, to LPS as well? Did uh, bacterial endotoxin manage to penetrate the barrier? Because that's a very, very different situation, I think, than just having the antibodies to the tight junctions. And, and also it's very different from having um, permeability to small molecules yes. like sugar. Right. Yes, everybody is having permeability to sugar. Right. But we are talking about the door is so much open that large molecules, which their size is 60,000, 100,000, 200,000 Dalton, can go through. Right. So and it's, that's it's, different. It's giving you information that the door is open, and also there is a very significant setup for autoimmune disease that has come in the door as well, and, and reaction has started to form against it. So... Um, I think it's an extremely important test. Thank you for developing it. Uh, I order it on almost everybody. Um, and it, it really is a tremendous value, um, I think, to those patients to have an idea of what the status is. So, so what we learn from this few minutes conversation is first you identify the triggers. Yes. Then you remove the triggers. But in the case of chemicals, that's one of the major reasons that your doctor if understand the issue of the triggers, they do detoxification. They mm -hmm. try to remove the toxic chemicals from your body. Sure. Because that's the mechanism of induction of autoimmunity. Right. B because uh, maybe the companies who produce the chemicals are saying it, they're excreted in the urine immediately. We know that that's not true that they can bind in uh, different tissues in the body, fat cells, uh, hepatic cells, and uh, you know their uh, pathogenicity can continue on going unless detoxification is kind of supported and the body can yeah. help excrete those. Yeah, let's clarify this a little bit more because okay. it's very important. That many, many years ago, I read this article by a scientist uh, who wrote the following sentence, you and I, 
may be exposed to the same levels of toxic chemicals. One will be completely safe after five years. Okay. The other one will develop autoimmune disease. Okay. Why? Because we have different enzymes, like our fingerprints, our enzymes are different. Yes. There are low metabolizers, there are medium metabolizers, and fast metabolizers. Absolutely. Okay. So each one of us... You're talking about genetic variations. Genetic variations in, in different human in beings. handling chemicals. Let me give, let me give a very um, basic, easy one for everyone to understand. Okay. We all know that there are people out there that can tolerate very large quantities of caffeine. And people who have one cup of coffee and they're jittery for 24 hours from it, right? That difference is because of genetic variation in the enzyme in the liver, which degrades caffeine, right? So that's what we're talking the about. The same thing could be applied to chemicals. To chemicals. One, in one case, maybe the manufacturers are right. 90% of the chemicals are get out of the body into right. the urine. In some, 50%. In right. some, 70%. Right. But it is enough, just 10%, even 2% of those chemicals to form new alliance and form new antigen with our tissue and setting the stage for autoimmunity. Right. So yes, maybe 90% of chemicals are in and out, mm -hmm. but our concern is about those 10% which bind to our tissue and setting the stage for autoimmunity. Is there a way to, can we talk, can we talk about ways to test for if we're talking about chemicals in, in this particular situation, if the body has formed an immune reaction to yeah, chemicals. It, it, uh, this is one of my, as you know, one of my favorite subjects. Yes, it is. <laughs> because I wrote an article, several articles uh, with Dr. Karazian and published them in classical journals, Journal of Applied Toxicology. Okay? In, this, in these articles, I made the argument that uh, that we are not interested in measuring levels of chemicals in the urine. Yeah. It's, you are wasting your money if you are going to measure chemicals in the urine because you are going to find them. Sure, because in, everyone's in exposed 99%, to them. 99%. Right. Because everybody is exposed to them. Right. Our interest is about that 10% of the chemicals which bind to human tissue, whether it's thyroid or joints or even the brain. Mm-hmm. So, in that article, I made this argument. We have two choices. Okay. And think a patient is sitting here. And tell that patient, you have two choices. We can biopsy your brain. Or okay. biopsy your kidney. Okay. Or biopsy... Your liver. Your liver. And then we'll measure levels of chemicals in your liver, or joints, or your brain. Okay. And so obviously, you know, you cannot do biopsy of the brain. Right. right? Or other, it's not easy. You are, you know, no one will be ready to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's one option which is not possible, okay. practically. The second option is to measure antibodies against chemicals bound to human tissue. Okay. Such as albumin in the blood okay. and hemoglobin. Okay. These are the two or, or immunoglobulins. These are the two or three major proteins in the blood. And so if you make antibodies against chemicals bound 
to albumin or hemoglobin, that's indication of that. Most probably you are going to make antibodies against uh, other tissues which chemicals are bound to. Okay. So that's the only choice we have. Okay. And based on that, I developed Array 11, which we measure antibodies against uh, 12 different chemicals and another four or fives are uh, on their way where we are measuring antibodies against heavy metals bound to human tissue proteins. Yes. Formaldehyde bound to human tissue proteins, isocyanate and benzene and others. Bisphenol A, tetrachlorobisphenol A and many others. So in, uh, in your opinion, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are doing uh, urinary heavy metal testing, maybe taking a sample of hair and testing for levels of mercury in the hair, heavy metals in the hair, um, that because of the ubiquitous nature of heavy metals uh, and environmental toxins in our everyday world, everyone's going to come back positive for this stuff. Yes. And the real meaningful information is, did the environmental chemicals that we're talking about form became a body burden we call that become a body burden the body has decided to form antibodies against them and then this is more i think we're taking the information to another level not are you exposed to heavy metals are you exposed to glyphosate it's have you been exposed to it and did your body decide to start forming a inflammatory autoimmune response to them you know yes. this is another level i think of information that is really important to understand and and i think much more useful in everyday practice you know there there if you go out there into the world um you know and talk to people who are kind of specializing in environmental exposure you'll see really a very wide range of how people handle trying to diagnose whether environmental toxins are playing a part in autoimmune disease and like i said some people will do a urinary test. Some people will do a DMSO uh, challenge, provocation, um, which is meant to um, bring some of the heavy metals out of the body and into excretion. Not only these methods are not really, the, you know, they are not, you're not going to gain so much information from them. Now they came out with dry urine spot or something like that, yeah. as if the whole issue was not controversial enough now they come out. They come out with all kind of methodologies, yeah. which are not reproducible in the same laboratory. If you send two different samples from the same patient, yeah. So, so I think the point is that the waters in in the world of discussing how environmental toxins are affecting autoimmunity um, are muddy, to say the least. Um, but you've done a lot of work and research in it, and. Uh, we very much strongly believe in the idea that testing for antibodies to tissue complexes with environmental toxins really gives you reliable, reproducible um, information that really can be tracked also. Yeah, the meaning of that, yes, you have been exposed to chemicals, yes. Yes, some chemicals bound to your tissue yeah. and created new antigenic material. Yeah. And now your immune system is going to clear the chemicals by attacking your tissue, causing autoimmunity. Yeah. Really, the bottom line is we have to pay attention to body burden of toxic chemicals and not 
measuring levels of chemicals in the urine or blood, in my opinion, they are useless. It's a waste of money. And the best way is uh, to, to measure body burden of chemicals, to measure antibodies against chemicals bound to human tissue proteins. Okay. So, uh, you know, we're discussing environmental toxins here. And, and, you know, we've hinted a little bit in the past about um, the differences between male and female sex and their prevalence of autoimmune disease, knowing that the prevalence is far higher in women. Um, we talked about the article that we're going to write in the future saying the immune system from men is from Mars and the immune system for women is from Venus. Let's talk about why that prevalence okay. is so different. All right. So this issue is taking me, taking me back to 1969. Okay. When I finished my bachelor degree and wanted to start my master degree, the summer of 1969, I got a job. My responsibility was with the same professor, which I was going to do my master degree, was to prepare reagent for immunology course of 1970. Okay. That's 47, 48 years ago. Okay. <laughs> okay. So giving me an antigen plus adjuvant, inject them to rabbits, goats, and sheep. Okay. And two of each. And every month I was taking blood and injecting again. You know, okay. you have to give a booster shot. Sure. After three months, when we collected all the blood and were looking at the titan of the antibodies, half of these animals, rabbits, goats, and sheep, gave very high titer of antibodies, and the other half, much lower. Okay. And I was very puzzled. I went to the professor. I said, why one sheep, one goat, and one rabbit gave us much, much higher levels of antibodies, the other one much lower? For example, one of them, 100 units. Uh-huh. The other one, 200 units. Okay. And, and that's meaning, you know, if you talk about money, the value is double. Sure. Right? Right. When twice more antibodies. Right. He said, let's go back to the animal farm where we, we did the injections. And uh, he was trained not only in field of uh, immunology, he was a vet doctor. Okay. An animal doctor. Animal doctor. Right. And immediately he, he started looking... Uh, at uh, uh, their sexual organs. Okay. And he said, well, which one gave you the highest titer of antibodies? I said, this sheep. He said, it's female. Which goat gave you the highest level of antibodies? He said, this one is female. And the rabbits, so all the females Unbelievable. gave high levels of antibodies. Why I'm telling you this? Because... Uh, it looks like at that time, first of all, you know, we didn't ask why, just, uh, you know, we learned for the next year only use the female, okay. not the male. <laughs> While, you know, that by itself could open completely a new avenue of research. Right. The male and female differences in immune reaction. Right. Okay. So anyway, you know, I finished my master, PhD, all of that. But today, when I read the literature, yeah. the literature is full of information about male and female differences in the immune response 
and unfortunately autoimmunity. Okay. So I made a few notes in here. Okay. Number one, estrogen. Yes. Enhancing immune response and autoimmunity. Okay. Let's you know just the estrogen has the capacity to enhance the immune system. Okay. That's why we got higher titer of antibodies. Okay. Because females have much higher levels of circulating estrogen, and you're saying it's boosting immune uh, activity. Yeah, we talked uh, hormones, endocrine and immune yep. system talking to each other, right? Yep. More antibodies. Androgens in, hum in men are immunosuppressing. Okay. And in fact, uh, some, some clinicians, they give DHEA yes. to patients with autoimmune disease. Yes. They would like to suppress. Yeah. And so that's the mechanism. Okay. That's number one. Female hormones exert broad effects on multiple gene expression. Okay. And the, these gene expressions encoding immunologically relevant molecules. For example, inflammatory cytokines. Okay. Another meaning that genetically, the hormones can affect genes responsible for making TNF-alpha. IL-1 beta, NF-kappa B, mm -hmm. so pro-inflammatory cytokines sure. initiate autoimmunity. Of course. The, the next gene is also uh, influenced by hormones, female hormones, toll-like receptors. What are toll-like receptors? That like antenna-like material are on the monocytes, when a foreign material is coming in, this antenna discovering those and going after them. Yes. And so it seems they have more activated toll-like receptors. And so therefore more immune response. Okay. And more immune response, the probability of mistake is going to be higher. Sure. Next, female hormones down-regulate a gene in the thymus gland. Okay called AIRE, or autoimmune regulator. Okay. So let me, I have to give a little bit of explanation here. What is AIRE? During evolution and development of the immune system, lymphocytes migrate from bone marrow to the thymus gland. Yes. In order to become mature. Mm -hmm. It's their Jeez. school. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. their school. So any lymphocytes who carry receptors for self-tissue, that gene is giving the order to be eliminated. Yes. Any lymphocytes who carry receptors for bacteria, viruses, and parasites, they should survive, migrate to blood and different parts of the body, mm -hmm. and these are the soldiers of the immune system which are going to protect us in the future against infections and other foreign material. Yep. So far... They're put out into the circulation to do their work. That's right. All right. Now, if female hormones down-regulate this gene, what will be the consequences? That some lymphocytes who carry a receptor for self before being eliminated they manage to get into the blood 
And what did we call that together? Leaky immune system. Yes. So female, because of their hormones, they are more prone to being le having leaky immune system than the males. So the thymus in, in because of female hormones is not as efficient in removing self-reactive lymphocytes. That's right. That's right. So this gene, AIRE, yeah. one, regulates antigen presentation. Production of cytokines. Okay. Also modulates regulatory T cells. Okay. So if inhibits T-Rex cells, what is the job of the T-Rex cells? To suppress immune system. Right. But if they will not do the job, will result in autoimmunity. Right. Because there are several levels of, uh, of uh, protection against autoimmunity. Right. One of them is process of elimination. This, the other one is T-Rex cell. Mm -hmm. uh, we call that peripheral tolerance. Yes. Okay. And yeah. That was central tolerance in the time as we talked about. Yeah. It. Okay. So we have three levels of tolerance. Mm -hmm. Tolerance in the gut. Uh -huh. when, when our body learns how to live in harmony with food that we eat and friendly bacteria. Yeah. Uh, Central tolerance in the thymus that cells get eliminated, and then T Rex cells in peripheral tolerance suppressing the immune system in order not to make antibodies against self tissues, right? And so forth, right? Unfortunately, sex hormones can affect all these three, hmm. okay? And so, therefore, that's why females are more prone to autoimmunity. But do not forget. They will get less cold, flu, and other infectious agents. Okay. And men are getting more so we, of those. We get sick more often, but less afflicted by autoimmune disease That's right. and vice versa for females. Yeah. So so there is some benefit to it, right? Yeah. Toxic chemicals. Females are more sensitive to toxic chemicals. Yes. And unfortunately, who is using more toxic chemicals or who is more in contact with toxic chemicals? Women. I mean, uh, unfortunately, because of, um, you know, the large presence of toxic chemicals in uh, makeup, cosmetics, uh, shampoos, um, hair dyes, nail polish, you know, um, they come into direct skin contact with way more environmental toxins than men do on a regular basis. So those chemicals, they get into the body. Yeah. Some of them form neo-antigen with their tissue. Yeah. Some of them compete with thyroid hormone receptor. Yeah, we and you, talked can, about you can imagine exposure on an every day, every day, every day, years and years and years, along with the setup of having a more active immune system because of their hormone differences, can lead to autoimmunity. Yeah. So, unfortunately, there are certain autoimmune diseases, the ratio is 18 to 1. Some is 9, nine to 1. Huge difference. Female versus male. Huge difference. Uh, and so overall, is I believe, is 3 to 1. Yeah. Three times more autoimmune disease in female than in male because of some of these mechanisms. Some of Tremendous. them we can blame it on the hormones, but the rest on the environmental Exposure. Triggers. Yes. So let's take the example of a woman who has an autoimmune disease, um, let's take MS. That's another one where women are more exposed to environment or, or, or uh, there's a higher prevalence 
um, of MS in women than there are in men, right? Like, yes. like all autoimmune diseases. Um, I'm just giving that as an arbitrary example. What, what can we do for someone who has um, a history of exposure, and it's not hard to find that in, in women, unfortunately, because of cosmetic use. Um, we want to find out how much of a role the environmental toxins are playing and then decide how much detoxification or if detoxification should play a part in their treatment. Um, you know, after taking a thorough history about their past exposures, um, you know, in, in the correct situations, I will run Array 11 on them. Yes. So, so just hold on to that question. Okay. Let's finish this part that, that the lymphocytes that uh. we're talking about, also they have, they said they have receptors for hormones, right? Yes. Unfortunately, the same lymphocytes have also receptors for toxic chemicals. Yeah. So they're ramped up also. And so let's let's not to forget that. That's why all together females are more prone to autoimmunity. Okay. Now, regarding MS, um, you touched this point that that I read this article which was published by two great scientists which I met at the International Congress of Autoimmunity, mm -hmm. Lerner and Matthias. Uh -huh. The rise of autoimmunity is associated with the use of food additives and other toxic chemicals. Yes. Interestingly, that he they looked at many parts of the world. When they looked at the most prevalent autoimmune disease, number one was the brain autoimmunity, the mm -hmm. nervous system autoimmunity, which MS is one of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And after that was the GI and uh, the liver and the others. Mm -hmm. So uh, it seems that toxic chemicals not only changing the gut microbiome, toxic chemicals get into the blood, Toxic chemicals plus toxins of the bacteria opening the blood-brain barriers. Yes. When get into the nervous system directly or indirectly through cytokines indirectly or directly can damage the neurons and the results of that is neuroautoimmunity such as multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And so what choice we have in here? I believe number one always we are going back to, you know, uh, you know there is a say they say everything ends in Rome. Yes. Okay. In human body, everything's we go back to the gut. Sure. You have to take care of the gut number one mm -hmm. because chemicals changing the gut bacteria. Okay, but if we go one step back for further, first you have to teach your patient not to use any more toxic chemicals. Yeah. So in, let's go back to step number one. In, in one of the previous episodes, we talked a lot about, you know, the big purpose here is edu education. Right. So the more we know about what we are exposed to, the more conscious we can be about the decisions to, let's say, for example, drink water out of a glass bottle, um, you know, uh, avoid microwaving food in plastic, avoid anything um, you know, aluminum, there are many conscious decisions you can make to 
reduce your exposure to environmental toxins, right? But it, this is the whole point of it. And, and don't put, I'm saying it in very general, okay. especially females, don't put any foreign material in your body. That including Botox injections, because Botox is a bacterial toxin. You may not like this, but if you are prone to autoimmune disease, you have to remove some of these environmental toxins from your environment. That is step number one. Right. And then, you know, in certain cases, depending on different arrays that we might run, you know, we may talk about, uh, you know, enhancing um, the body's detoxification systems. But really, nothing is as powerful as reducing your exposure by being conscious about the decisions that you make. And that is free. Absolutely. That's a treatment that costs nothing other than time and attention, which is really a beautiful thing about it. Um, the next, you try to remove whatever is in your body, meaning uh, the body burden of toxic chemicals. Yes. It's not e- an easy task. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, I used to say that, imagine how many years took you to accumulate all those chemicals in your body. Yeah. 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Yeah. It may take five or 10 years also to remove those. Yes. And yeah. unfortunately, one of the best yeah, the only choice I'm saying that, unfortunately, is just, you know, IV glutathione. Yeah. I don't think their walking exercise and others are free. They are. You can do all of those. You know, maybe uh, going into a sauna every once in a while. But yeah, the, the, major, the major treatments are free. Right. And then remove all the offending foods from your environment. Right. And then finally, take care of the immune system. Yeah regulate the immune system of the patient. Absolutely. And that's something that we really know so much more about today than we did even five or 10 years ago. Yes. And there are a lot of products available, um, you know, which can help support a healthy immune system in the right direction. Right. Thank you so much. This has been, as always, a tremendous education for me and, uh, you know, I'm sure for everyone watching, you know, to recap everything that we talked about today in episode three, we really went over... um, the different stages of autoimmunity, you know, stage one, antibodies present in the system, but not attacking tissue, stage two, um, increased antibodies also being targeted against tissues in the body, um, and stage three, um, and in stage two, we have early symptoms, early vague symptoms, stage three, continued antibody response, um, really more significant symptoms, and sometimes irreversible tissue damage secondary to that antibody um, uh, antibody attack against the tissues. And we, we also covered, you know, the three categories of triggers, okay? On top of genetic predisposition, these three categories of triggers, the one we talked about really at length today was chemicals, environmental toxins. Um, the other two are foods, and number three are infectious pathogens. Um, in our next episode, episode four, we're going to discuss this really large and very important topic about food as a trigger for autoimmune disease. Um, It's going to be fascinating. I hope you uh, check us out next month and uh, tune in for that because it's going to be a great discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. We'll see you guys next month. Thank you.